Hi there, I'm Neve Shaw and this is Humans of Space, a podcast about curious people. More specifically, it's chats with people that I've met along the journey so far in getting to space. People from many parts of the world, people who've inspired me, people who do interesting things, know interesting stuff, have figured out great things, or people who want to change the world. Curious people who are happy to chat with me about their lives, their passions, and explore together what drives us to be the people we need to be. I like to think that Humans of Space is a blend of space, science, curiosity, and creativity for ears of all kinds. But I guess that's up to you to decide. Uh, welcome back again to Humans of Space podcast. And this week I'm joined by uh, Jacqueline Silva Martinez, a person that I met on the Space Studies program again in 2015, where, where my whole world was expanded around everything space. And Jackie uh, works currently at NASA Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas, and her role is in Human Systems Integration Lead on the Gateway Project which is the new space station, which will soon orbit the moon and its first mission beginning in 2024, when we will return two humans to the surface of the moon. So I'm absolutely delighted to be speaking to Jackie today. Jackie, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much, Niam, uh, for this opportunity. And uh, oh, yeah, can you hear I'm me? delighted to speak to you. Yeah, I can hear you loud okay. and clear. So you're speaking to us today from Houston? That's correct. Yeah, um, okay. I'm, I'm at home, uh, but I'm still yeah. uh, working for JSC. And how is lockdown for you? I know that you obviously still have to work from home. On the ground, are you okay? Is all your family safe? Is everybody safe and well? Yes, uh, thank you. We are all safe in different parts. Um, my parents were able to move to Houston a couple of years ago. So at least I get to see them um, here and there. And my brother also has his family here. So the close family is, is around Houston and um, that makes it better. Uh, I do have family in Peru, in, in New Jersey, uh, in California, in different uh, parts here. And uh, they're all safe also, but, you know, we cannot see them as often as we would like. Yeah, of course, it's the same. We all kind of have to restrict um, the opportunities where we would normally be gathering as a family. So it's it's tough on all of us. Jackie, you have a really interesting story, which is why I kind of am really excited to talk to you today and share your story with the listeners. You're originally from Peru and you're a mum. You have a son and a daughter. At what age are they now? I think I met them back in 2015. I certainly met yes. one of them back in 2015. Yeah, only one at that point. Uh, he's seven now. He just turned seven last month uh, and the little one is two. On top of having a really interesting and probably very challenging career, you're also a mum. That's incredible. How do you juggle your time? How do you prioritize? It's a balance. Sometimes it's not even a balance, right? One area suffers uh, when the other one needs to, to keep going. I think it's the support system that, that helps to for everything to work well. You know, my husband, my my parents uh, uh, taking care of the kids while I'm doing something for work or for school or that makes it work. And what are they like? Are they like you? Are they curious? Do you think that they will follow in your footsteps or what do you see them developing an interest in? I, I like that uh, for my son, at least he's the one that's seven years old uh, in, uh, in second grade. And I don't have to be behind him saying like, go and read a book or follow this or 
you know, because he sees me doing that. And I think yeah. he just caught that and he's like, okay, it's time to read. And he picks a book and starts doing that. Uh, and, and the little one is the same too. Oh, she She's after mom or dad and now with, with my mm-hmm. son too. It's like, can you read this book? Can you read that book? I like that, um, that they can follow that from from seeing the activities. That is brilliant. That's great. So let's start kind of talking about your career and, and your life. So how many years now have you been working at NASA? I started right after the SSP program, so five years now. Wow, that's great. Mm-hmm. And tell me just a little bit about your current role. I mean, Human Systems Integration Lead, what is that on the ground kind of in layman's terms? What I'm doing now is, is part of systems engineering and integration, uh, and that's more widely not part of systems engineering processes and so with human systems integration, HSI for short, is a process that we need to continue throughout the life cycle of a mission. The Department of Defense already uses these as a formal process. NASA is, is catching up. So just uh, a few programs, the, the late programs have incorporated these as a formal process, although we've done all the, the human part in taking care of our astronauts while they go to space, right? Now the focus is on like, how do we make sure that the design already integrates the part of taking care of of the crew uh, ahead of time? And not just the crew, but any human. We have humans working on the design, the assembly, tests, and launch operations, and mission control when, uh, when the astronauts are up there also supporting. So all that personnel needs to be taken into account during early phases of a mission. So that's my role uh, right now with HSI for the Gateway Program. We have over 300 uh, requirements where it says this is how we're going to keep the crew safe and managing all those requirements to to still uh, and get there for various modules that, that we have. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the whole uh, idea of uh, representing this process that, uh, throughout the mission lifecycle. I guess it's a lot of conversations with a lot of people. You know, the clock is ticking, I guess, as well, because you have deadlines to meet all the time. Is it a pressure job? Yes, definitely. I don't know if all the programs I've been with, the International Space Station just recently, because right now for Gateway, we're trying to meet that deadline that that you mentioned, 2024. Uh, There's a lot to do before that to to get prepared. We have to keep (laughs) forcing ourselves to, to meet deadlines. And how do you manage pressure? You're in a very innovative sector. There is a lot of pressure all the time. So how do you personally manage pressure? What I do is priorities. Let's say we take just a week. There's a lot of things. There's, let's say, 10 big things that everyone wants to get done uh, this week. I'm only one person. And yes, I have a team and they all have their responsibilities too. I concentrate on like what's the highest one. So We'll get these three first things done. The others will have to wait. Or we can do one step, uh, focus on like the three or four um, big things that, that we can accomplish. And and we move the team to get towards that, that goal too. So uh, I think that helps me to work with that pressure. And I do the same for, for personal or at home with the family. We assess mm-hmm. what's going on and just focus on, on one thing at a time. Wow. Okay. Well, that's quite a skill. You're working at NASA. So was that a big 
dream for you? Because I know you did a degree in engineering and also a degree in Spanish translation, but then you went on and to do two masters and um, kind of all focusing in aeronautics and aerospace. And now you're currently doing a PhD in leadership. So has working at NASA always been part of those plans and those achievements that you've made along the way? At the beginning, so let's say when I was in Peru, that was, it was a dream. As a little kid, I remember even saying uh, when I was there, it's like, oh, yeah, I want to become an astronaut. And, and NASA was part of that. It was taken as a joke. And even for me, it was like, yeah, probably that's not going to happen. Once I moved here to New Jersey, and that was for my senior year of high school, I was like, okay, maybe that happened. But it wasn't just NASA that attracted me. It was more working on space things. And I realized that during college too, it's like it's not just NASA that does this. And most of the projects are really done by industry. Uh, so um, looking at Lockheed or Boeing and seeing how they started with their projects, it was more that, that call of like, I want to do something for space and seeing how I get there. The day you started at NASA, was that a big day for you? Or, or did you have a moment where you went, wow, I, I can't believe I'm here? Yeah, and it happened for all three main full-time jobs that I had. So uh, working at, at Lockheed first, and it was more the satellite work. So I wasn't working with the human uh, spaceflight yet. It was there like hardcore designing uh, antennas uh, and uh, for the GPS-3 satellite um, and then testing them, moving to that part of assembly, getting ready for launch operations. And then the other one was with JPL. So it is a center of NASA, but, you know, it's contracted through the, the university. So I heard about that opportunity when I started doing my second master's degree. And, and for that, I, I stopped with Lockheed so that I can concentrate on the master's. Uh, but after a semester, they called me right before Christmas and they said, we have a position for you on the Mars rover. Uh, that was for Curiosity. And that was a big day. I think it's like, OK, I'm closer now. Right. I went there uh, for a couple of years um, for NASA itself, uh, for JSC, I kind of started over. I went in as an intern after having worked in industry. I actually met you there in 2018. You were working somewhere around mission control at the time. That was one of your roles, wasn't it? You were involved in mission control for the ISS at that stage, or did I get it wrong? No, that, that's correct. When we met uh, back in ISU SSP 2015, that year was like, I already put a lot of applications out uh, for uh, going back to work. Because after JPL kind of went back to Connecticut and I said, I need to finish these two degrees. And I was having my baby, the, the first one uh, at the same time. After that, I went back to the job market. Like I, I need to work on, on the space bar. So I had a lot of applications. One of them was HERA, uh, the Human Exploration Research Analog. Uh, and that was just for the study, right? There for a couple months, and they were gonna do that and that part of the study. I had an interview on there. They called me to come to Jesse, and I remember the day after the interview. Okay, I probably go never gonna be back here, so I'm gonna do the, all the rides and took pictures. I think that's when I felt when I went into Jesse and looking at all the rockets and the doors. I'm like, how did I get here? Like I said, I'm probably not gonna be back. 
they called me back for a second interview, but it was just labs. And then SSP started that summer. Uh, during that summer, um, Jesse called me for another application that I have for the internship program. Right, and then uh, I went to to Hera, and it was just reduced to four people, and and starting there uh, with uh, my family. My son was still in, in Connecticut with my husband, so it was a, a transition. You know, it wasn't just one moment, but yeah, and lots of strong choices as well. Because I remember on the Space Studies program, SSP is as you said, you left early. I think you left about two weeks from the end because you got that place on Hera, which. For those of us who don't know what that is, that was an analog mission. That's an internal analog mission run by NASA, right? So that was a huge opportunity that you got there. And only four people were selected for that two-week mission, right? Yeah, that that's right. Yeah, we had to to pass through the same steps as astronaut. So, so it was nice, another like step closer. Where was your family living at that time? Like, I, I presume that you all then moved to Houston when you took up the internship. So where were you before that? Connecticut. My husband was uh, working there. And after JPL, we decided to move there. And then when JSC mm-hmm. came up as an opportunity, took that on. Um, but I came to Houston with my son. Um, and uh, it was just me and him while I was working at NASA and a lot of sacrifice, you know, I think there's a lot of strong decisions that need to be made in order to accommodate that, because I think a lot of people would be too scared to to get up and move. That's what it takes. Obviously, it, it's paid off really well for you. And Jackie, so if we go back to the early days, you're somebody that's extremely curious and passionate about what you do and very capable and somebody that kind of deals with pressure very well and very capably. I'm always curious about where that comes from. Who do you think gave you that kind of courage in your formative years? Who were your supporters or who helped you become the person you are? My parents, they were and they are my role models. Watching them also, I think they both went through their master degrees while I was little. It was more just watching them do their thing. They both are from Peru. My dad was a professor in physics at the university in Cusco. My mom was the business administrator for the regional hospital. Are your parents originally from that region of Peru? Yes, my dad was born also in Cusco, where I was from, and my mom in uh, Abancay, which is uh, close to, to Cusco. And what's Cusco like for, for people like myself that have never had the luxury of getting to South America? I really do hope to get there one day. What's it like? I know that there's a lot of Inca historical connections there. It's steeped in history, yeah, and it is quite a tourist spot. What was it like growing up there? Growing up there, I mean, I would walk to school 20 minutes to half an hour, and it was normal, no buses uh, or taxis, Mm. and sometimes we were in a rush, I remember. My dad would send us in a taxi, but they would take us to school, pick us up. It it was very, uh, like, a, a small town. So were there many opportunities to get involved in science and space activities in Cusco as a child? No, definitely not. I think the closest that I got to to that was with a a magazine that came from a a Sputnik uh, magazine that they used to, I guess, have it in the newsstands. So it was from, from Russia and 
they had like these uh, nice pictures of cosmonauts and things like that. And, and that's what I remember when I was little that my parents would buy and I would color them. So th that was the, the closest thing. Um, you know, we had uh, programs uh, in the school for like normal science or math, but they will never be speaking about space and, uh, and astronauts or spacecrafts. Do you think that your passion for space came from those magazines or was there another moment in your life that you think kind of sparked it all off? What made it more solid was during my years here in college in the U.S. At mm. Rutgers University, uh, one of my uh, counselors, uh, women contact with a professor, uh, Professor Benaroya in Department of Mechanical Engineering there. And he was working on a study for lunar bases uh, back then. I told him I'm interested in this. He said, you want to do research here? Go and figure it out. Space is what I want to do and let me see how I get there. And I started doing yeah. different activities that, that got me here. To get to Rutgers to do that degree, obviously your father's job would have helped you not question that having a career in science or engineering is possible. Was there any other teachers or anybody else in your early life that you think helped you have the determination to just go for what you want in life? I think the part of discipline is what I got from uh, from the schools. Uh, mm. So I went to a Catholic school in, uh, in Peru. They show me discipline. You want to do something, you will work hard for that, and you'll complete it. Those teachers helped me to get prepared. You know, there were other barriers too that, that I had to go through mm. once coming here, not only the language, the financial part, and not obtaining the scholarship that I needed to get to college. What was it like for you when you went from Peru then to New Jersey those first few months? You went into high school, did you, at that stage? So you were about 15 or 16? Yeah, 15. Uh, I went to Patterson, New Jersey. I uh, went to yeah. a school called Eastside High School. I didn't realize that till later. One of the counselors told me, well, you came to one of the lowest rating schools in the U.S., it, it was a shock for me because when you come to the U.S., is the expectation that everything is going to be really high profile, the latest yeah. technology and, you know, the programs are going to be really challenging. And it wasn't like that for me when, when I got there. And I was put directly into the bilingual program, uh, which um, uh, it was really Spanish. It was not bilingual. It's supposed to be teaching both languages. So uh, I was thinking, how am I going to learn and get prepared for college? That's everything in English if here they teach me Spanish. And it was very different to expectations that maybe I, yeah. I made to, to myself. The advisors, they wouldn't encourage people to go out and seek for, for the degrees that they wanted. So kind of did that on my own. Uh, there wasn't much mm -hmm. help in there. And the, the language limitation didn't help. When we moved here also, it was just with my mom and the siblings. So uh, we didn't have my dad. He didn't have the visa yet. Um, so for six years that we moved here, it was just the three of us. Um, at that point, I was kind wow. of the surrogate parent, right, as being the oldest child. When I applied to like over 100 scholarships, and one of the things they say here is uh, if you rank on the top 10 uh, of the class, uh, graduating class, the, uh, the school and the state will support your uh, your degree. And, and I did. I was sixth place, I think. But uh, they couldn't give it to me because uh, I wasn't here for more than two years. 
started working. I applied to those scholarships out of that, maybe five of them went through. Uh, so I had loans too that uh, I just recently finished paying and looked uh, wow. 20 years out of high school. So things didn't come easy. Little by little, I, I got there. That's incredible determination. And did your mom move you to New Jersey to give you that opportunity or was there another reason why you moved? Like, Did your parents decide to do that to give yourself and your brother a better opportunity at getting into those colleges or was it for another reason? So uh, my uncle is the first one who moved to the United States for yeah. work and he made a petition to to have um, uh, his siblings and and children uh, to come here. But that process took over 12 years. So it wasn't wow. in any of the plans for uh, for us to really come here, right, for my parents. And when that came through for my mom, it was just the mom and the, and the children uh, and the, for the visa. So they said, okay, this is an opportunity. They said, we'll go for three months and, and then you can come back. That's how we came at that time. I wanted to experience how the school was in, in the U.S., and then you studied at Embry-Riddle, which is a sort of a centre for people who don't know, it's a centre for aviation really, isn't it? It does aeronautical sciences. And then Georgia Institute of Technology for your master's in aerospace. And so are you working while you're doing those master's now after you do your degree or yes. or, or can you, or do you have the luxury of full-time kind of study? Uh, after I started yeah. working full-time at, at Lockheed, uh, I started with my degree Actually, okay. with uh, yeah. Drexel University first with a certificate program and right after with mm-hmm. Embry-Riddle. And then I got accepted to Georgia Tech. That's when I said, okay, it's two degrees. I might be able to do it, but I need to leave um, uh, Lockheed. Um, because for me, it was, uh, yes, I was doing space stuff, but I wanted to do human space flight. Um, so uh, at that point, my decision was to continue with uh, the master's uh, full time. The other opportunity came up of, of JPL after a semester mm, there, yeah. uh, and uh, I, I continued my studies throughout working full time. I was able to work that out to finish the the program distance learning wise, which was very difficult. Uh, yeah. But um, but now with doing my my other degree, uh, that comes in handy because now I know what to do and how to handle that that workload. How do you stay so driven? What gives you that driving force to to overcome so many hurdles that most people would have given up. For you to have been able to work at Lockheed and for the first part, take on those extra studies. But even now, as a mum of two, finishing a PhD while you're also working at NASA full-time in quite a pressurised job, what is it that you have that gives you that drive I'm intrigued to know what's out there. Uh, so I cannot be happy just sitting doing my work, knowing that um, maybe someone else in another company uh, or another industry, and they're having better processes or better tools that we can also use. You know, we can help each other. Maybe I have information that others can use, and that's the drive also to, to learn more and, and to share. Um, so I, I like to, to write papers also for... Uh, for conferences, things like that. And, and that's where I learned what, what everyone else is doing, is that curiosity of like making improvements. For the PhD in leadership, 
it was more to formalize that part that uh, I like to work with teams and to um, yeah. to make things uh, work thinking on the on the human aspect because sometimes mm-hmm. uh, in the engineering world is uh, these three words right cost schedule and performance you have to meet mm-hmm. all those three and who makes that work is the human, but a human is not even part of those three words. And uh, for me, that, that part is so important that uh, I think by having that, that leadership background helps me to also convey that to, um, to my current organization. And Jackie, are you going to apply or have you applied for astronaut selection for the next round? Is that still part of something that you want to do? Or do you think you found something that you're actually satisfied with, like to be a part of the bigger picture in preparing for, you know, the gateway and all the subsequent missions, or is it still to be an astronaut? Is that still part of the dream? I think it's still part of the dream. I did apply to the last two calls. Um, now mm-hmm. we we have them so far apart that it, it's hard to even have an opportunity there, right? Before it used to be every year almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, for the, the last two, actually it's going to be three. Well, this one that the one that's current will be the third one. Um, and we haven't heard anything from that yet. Uh, for the first one, uh, I was in the, uh, first a hundred. So, and then they had to do so much downsize too. Uh, so, so we'll see. It's not something that it will stop me from continuing doing what I'm doing. No, I don't think um, so. I, I do it. That will be a, a cherry. We'll, we'll say on on top of uh, yeah, on top. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you have a pretty good. You've got a pretty. You've got it going pretty well already. And um, I probably have time just for two last questions. So the first one is is um, about Peru. And do you do much work to support girls and men as well who are interested in pursuing a career in science. I know that you are involved in a lot of school and outreach activities, and I just wondered, is it local or do you do them um, back in South America? I think my involvement with uh, different professional organizations are helping me to to reach different networks. Uh, and mm. within those, uh, my um, my part to uh, to contribute to, uh, to that is uh, to young so students and young professionals that uh, are are coming um and we had some um in the family and just a small network like just presenting some some things that we will learn either at school or at work uh and mm. and that got ex- that idea uh, that started just from mom dad and and children to to the neighborhood to libraries and, and got expanded to i say well, why we don't just share with everyone who wants to learn about that. So we started mm-hmm. that more formally as the Center of Science, Leadership and Culture um, in, uh, in Connecticut. And, uh, and then we expanded that and um, we're taking topics like that that you might just hear in, in conferences or things that we're doing and we're learning and we want to pass along. And now we do it throughout different states in, in the U.S. Uh, targeting now, the, the name is in Spanish because uh, I think that's the part that doesn't get to hear all these different topics. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, also do those uh, uh, outreach events with South America and, and got to go to the different countries to 
uh, and now everything is virtual too. So uh, try to contribute from that. Um, maybe not financially, right? I, I don't have that yet, but uh, with knowledge and uh, hopefully with, uh, with that, I can reach out a lot of people and they can also mm. uh, do and meet their dreams. You know, I think anybody who sees you in your career and all the things that you've done to overcome any struggles, I think that in itself is a huge gift because it's, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And you're a perfect example of somebody who just made your own path regardless of anything that kind of stood in your way. So then the last question then, Jackie, if you were to look back on yourself when you were young, what advice would you give to girls and young boys who have big dreams and then when they kind of get to be teenagers and stuff, it just seems to be difficult in order to manifest those dreams. What advice would you share with them? The first thing and uh, three words that my parents always gave me, study, study and study. Those are your three priorities. <laughs> <laughs> Keep learning. That's what we do every day. There is uh, there's so much out there to learn. And uh, if we can continue in education, that will be uh, uh, a good mm. thing for everyone. Another one is to get involved in school activities or, or college activities outside of what they already tell you to do. Take leadership roles and have a lot of applications. They might not all play out, but maybe one of out of 10 can come out, right? Never forget your roots. Um, wherever we go, we have to be proud of where we come from. Uh, that's what makes us us. It's our values, our culture. Our food, our dance is uh, is part mm -hmm. of me. I remember on um, on the Space Studies program on Culture Night that uh, you came out uh, in your national costume, and you even got your whole family involved. Your little son was there, and you got our Space Studies program director, which is John Connolly, uh, to get involved in the dance. I'd never seen anything like it. Lastly, Jackie, just one last question. So far. What would you say is uh, your proudest achievement? You might have expected NASA, but I think it's my, my two kids. I see them as, as two little projects that started and, and I have the responsibility to, to help them grow and, and, and become good, uh, good citizens of the world. Jackie, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story on Humans of Space. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity and um, I hope I can keep chatting with you another time too. And Thanks Jackie, thank you. Thank you so much. If you like this podcast or if you like what I do or if you'd like to know more or have a question, you can sign up for updates on my website neveshaw.ie. This podcast is funded by my loyal Patreon subscribers, the subscription content service that allows me to create and share exclusive videos, advanced episodes of this podcast, provide special deals and discounted offers for patrons of my work. And thanks to those patrons, I get to make the work I want to make and can continue in my mission to get to space in earnest. And in return, I get to include them all in the adventures every step of the way. I couldn't do any of it without their support and I will be forever grateful to them. So thanks. And maybe you'd like to become a patron too. So if you would like to support my mission to get to space as a storyteller, further details of Patreon's membership benefits and about this podcast, upcoming events and activities, they're all available from my website, neveshaw.ie account. I'd love to hear from you. 
but we can connect in other ways too. If you're on Twitter, my handle is Dior underscore Neve underscore Shaw. If you're on Instagram, it's Dior underscore Neve underscore Shaw. Or on Facebook, follow my page, Get Neve to Space. If you just want to watch more content, you can check out my videos on my YouTube channel, Neve Shaw. Humans of Space is produced by Mark Gardner and Catherine Cunning at Oxford Sound Studio, Oxford in the UK, with music by Tom Beasley.